Well, hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Forst, and I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. I want to say thank you for the privilege of uh, inviting me into your earbuds or your speakers uh, for a good chunk of time on the Life Church Canton podcast. I am going to be handing off some podcasting responsibilities to Roger Santini, so he'll be taking on some of the hosting from now. Uh, But I'll still be around, I'll still be contributing to this podcast from time to time as well with sermons, with different uh, discussions, topics that we we talk about. So um, I'll still still be in your ears in that way. Um, But I want to let you know that uh, we are still in a series called Parables, Matthew chapter 13. And this is actually going to be a message from Roger Santini. He's talking about the parable of the yeast. It's a great sermon. Um, and I uh, hope you enjoy. Also want to invite you, if you haven't yet, to subscribe to this podcast so that you can stay up to date on regular podcasts and other content. And then also um, check out our Give page if you'd like to give and invest in the work that we get to be a part of at Life Church. You can go to lifechurchcanton.org slash give, and you can find out information on how to give as well as what your giving actually goes to. So without further ado, here is Roger Santini with the Parable of the Yeast. sit down. Hey everyone, how are we doing today? Good, okay, so kind of a little bit. Some of us maybe still a little sleepy from Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, So I I hope you guys did have a good Thanksgiving. Uh, I have to say Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays because it's all about two things, right? It's about getting together with family and friends and it's about eating food, which also happen to be two of my favorite things. So it's one of my favorite holidays. If you've been with us uh, the past couple weeks, though, you know that we have been going through a series on parables. And we've gone through two parables that Jesus uh, told and then turned to his disciples and gave very like, specific explanations of. And then we had one last week that there wasn't really an explanation. Uh, this week we have one more parable that Jesus tells and doesn't really give an explanation for. So you'll hear me talk a lot about context and culture, all so that we can better understand what Jesus was trying to teach his audience. But I, before we get into it, I want to give a quick disclaimer about myself. Uh, of everyone on staff, I am probably the least qualified to talk about baking and cooking, which we're going to be talking about pretty much this whole message. I have started, uh, let's see, not one, uh, but two kitchen fires in my time. Did anyone else know that baking soda puts out fires? Because <laughs> I found that out real fast. <laughs> uh, and both times, my wife, uh, who I was dating at the time, was there because I was living in an apartment by myself as a bachelor, uh, but I think everyone in this room understands uh, whose fault those fires were. It wasn't my wife's. (laughs) So uh, I can say, though, even though I'm not qualified to talk about uh, baking, after uh, spending a lot of time researching uh, both baking and the scripture we're going to go through today, I can say I'm pretty qualified to teach you guys what Jesus was trying to teach through this parable. And I actually think I found, even for those of you who may be bakers in the room, I think I found some pretty interesting facts about baking during Jesus' day that are really going to help us unlock and understand this this scripture. So we're going to get into it. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew 13, 33. So you can go ahead and open to that or uh, get ready to read it off the screen. Uh, It's a bit of a long one. We're going to get into it. Uh, It's going to take a while. So we pick up right after Jesus tells uh, last week the parable uh, of the mustard seed. Uh, And then without really taking a break, he turns to the crowd again, and he's going to teach them another parable. 
And that's where we are right now in Matthew 13, 33, where Jesus says this. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. So that's it. That's the whole thing. That's the whole parable. That's what we get. The kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman mixed into bread. But you're going to see there's actually a lot of context. There's a lot that is happening here that's going to teach us a really deep and, and meaningful lesson about what the kingdom of God is. And first off, we're going to talk about leaven versus unleavened bread. You might already know this if you're a baker, but uh, bear with me a little bit. Um, leavened bread is the bread that we all are used to, the bread that we pick up in the grocery store. Uh, it's soft, and it's fluffy, and it tastes good. We all love it. Oprah loves it. <laughs> had to bring that back up because of a message from Pastor Jared a couple weeks ago. Uh, but it's the good bread. It's the good stuff. Uh, unleavened bread, though, is a little different because it has no yeast. Uh, so unleavened bread is more like a cracker uh, than bread. It's, it's okay. It's all right. Uh, it's often the bread we take when we take communion, so you'll get to have some of that today. But the biggest difference between leavened bread and unleavened bread is the, what goes into the process of making it. Uh, leavened bread, the fluffy stuff, it requires kneading and proofing so that it can rise uh, before you even put it in the oven and bake it. Unleavened bread, though, has no yeast, uh, doesn't need any of that kneading or proofing stuff, so it can be made quick, easily, and if you're in a hurry. And that difference is going to be really important to understanding what is going on here. What is Jesus trying to say? Um, and as much as you and I love uh, leavened bread, in Jewish culture at the time, uh, and even now, unleavened bread had a lot more significance and cultural uh, meaning. And the significance goes all the way back to Exodus 12. Uh, if you're not familiar with the book of Exodus, that's okay. Uh, the book of Exodus is in the Old Testament. It is the story of Moses rescuing the people of God from Egypt and taking them out of slavery into the wilderness. And the, the actual night that Moses takes the, the people uh, out of Egypt from slavery, that actual night, they are told that they have to be prepared to flee. They're told that they have to uh, wear their shoes as they're eating dinner, which most of us probably don't do. Uh, they have to pack light. They have to eat every bite of food, so clean plate club. Uh, and they also have to prepare unleavened bread. And we just said why, because that's the bread that's ready uh, quick uh, easily, uh, the, the bread that you would want to have if you literally had to run out the door at any second. And that meal actually became a tradition. Uh, that meal, the Jewish people practiced uh, for hundreds of years and even to this day so that they could remember that night and what God did for them and for their people. Uh, why do I tell you all this? It seems like a lot of uh, background information. Well, I, I tell you this so you understand how weird it would have been for Jesus to compare the kingdom of God, this thing that the Jewish people have been waiting for for so long, this long-awaited powerful kingdom that they're waiting to hear about, to leavened bread. Because the Jewish people would have probably expected 
Jesus to compare the kingdom of God to unleavened bread. Uh, Jesus was a rabbi, right? He was not only a teacher of religion and the Torah, the law, he was also a teacher of Jewish tradition and culture. So for him to have used uh, the bread that they wouldn't have seen as, as important or even as holy would have stood out to them. They might have had questions. They might have been taken back. They might have started listening just a little bit closer. So I'll ask the same question of you, church, that we've been asking this whole series. Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Do you have ears to hear? And there's a little more I want you to hear so you can better understand. Uh, and let's keep talking about this process of making bread because I think it's going, uh, and no, it's going to connect to what Jesus is trying to teach us about the kingdom. So when you bake bread, you need to have a leavener to help it rise, to help it uh, get uh, full and soft and fluffy. And that process takes time. Uh, if you were going to bake bread today, uh, you would sprinkle in a little bit of yeast. You can get them at packets or little jars at the grocery store. Uh, but during that time, they did not have yeast. But they still needed their bread to rise to leaven. So what they would do is every time they baked a batch of bread, they would take a little piece of it and they would kind of section it off. And they would take that little piece and they would put it in a jar and allow it to ferment. And through that chemical process, it would then become the leavener for their next batch of bread. There was quite the process, right? You would have to bake the bread before you even baked some bread. Uh, it would sit in a jar for a while. Then you would have to work and knead that little piece of bread into the whole batch. And then you would let it rise. But after all of that, finally, you would have your bread. So, church, I ask you, how is the kingdom of God like that little piece of dough, that little leavener that becomes a part of the whole bread? Well, just like bread, God's kingdom takes time. You have to think ahead. You have to be prepared. You have to be involved. And as you give it time to work, like that little piece of bread, the kingdom begins to rise and to grow. The little leaven will become the whole bread. And this is the theme that Jesus continues from the last parable, right? Last week, Pastor Jared talked about how the tiny mustard seed becomes a plant, uh, or becomes a weed and then becomes a plant and then eventually becomes a tree that just takes over everything. If you haven't listened to it yet, you should definitely go back and listen. But Jesus is making a similar point here. The kingdom of God, which is the way of uh, biblical love and justice, begins as a small thing that starts to take over the more it is needed into the world. I want you to think about it this way. Uh, a community, a place with one Christian in it, just one Christian, one follower of Jesus who is loving others and serving their neighbors starts a small movement. Eventually that movement grows into a community, maybe even into a church. And then that church starts to change and to present the love of God and the kingdom to everyone around them. That happened with Jesus, and it happens with each of us when we decide to follow him. Right? Think about how the kingdom started. Right? The kingdom started with one man, Jesus Christ. And then over the next three years, it grew into 12 of his closest friends and disciples. And then after a while, they lost one to betrayal. And even worse, after that, they lost Jesus as he was nailed to a cross, crucified, died, and was buried. And he came back three days later, resurrected, 
alive again. But even then, there was no more movement in the kingdom for a couple of weeks because the disciples were scared and they were upstairs in a room huddled together, fearing for their lives and what was going to happen. But eventually, eventually the Holy Spirit filled them and filled that room and they burst out onto the street, preached to thousands of people and were told that thousands of people came to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then the church over 2,000 years grew into what it is now. The kingdom always takes over. Just like that little bit of leaven that becomes the whole bread. And this is uh, my favorite part of working with students, with young people. Seeing the process over time of young people going into a community and working for the kingdom and seeing the kingdom grow as a result especially when they serve. Um, I've seen again and again countless times what happens when you take a group of young people into a community with the intention of being the hands and the feet of the kingdom. Sometimes, and oftentimes, I see people uh, not think much. We might uh, think even about all of the work we have to do to train them and to prep them and teach them how to serve. But then the students show up, and the kingdom just takes over as they get to work. Um, and I, I was reflecting on students I've worked with in the past, and I actually wanted to share uh, one specific student with you. Uh, and the student's name was Cole. He was a middle school student. He was one of the first students that I really uh, discipled. It was back when I was interning, when I was first learning uh, how to uh, do this kind of work. Um, Cole was an incredibly polite, kind, and quiet child. Uh, he was uh, a boy that... Uh, didn't really start drama or trouble. Uh, he wasn't usually the ringleader. I would say he was even uh, a student you might miss in the crowd. But then I started working with Cole, and I started watching Cole. And the more I watched Cole, the more visible the kingdom became. Because what you might not have known about Cole until you met him and learned a little bit of his story is that Cole had a special needs sister at home. So talk about empathy and knowing how to love others and to be patient and to be kind. Cole knew how to do that. I would watch Cole work with students that were younger than, than him, uh, young children, and love them and care for them and empathize with them in a way that only he could. I watched him grow into a young man who loved Jesus and knew what it meant to need the kingdom of God into the community around him. The kind of needing that takes patience and empathy and love in his, uh, his heart. You saw Vera behind me a little bit ago just showing us what that looks like. But there's something weird about this parable so far. Something odd. Something that might hint that a turn is about to happen, like Pastor Jared talked about. Because so far, all Jesus has really done has said the same thing again. Right? He's making the same points he just made in the last parable. But I don't think that all, that's all Jesus is trying to teach us here. I think there's actually a lot more in this parable. I think that this parable is less about how the kingdom grows and more about what it does to get there. It's one of those turning points. Uh, and last week, Jared talked about uh, the parable of the mustard seed and how it teaches that the kingdom grows by itself, how it takes over and seeps into the cracks. And Jesus takes that point and he, he makes it again as he talks about how that little bit of leaven gets kneaded in and becomes the whole bread. 
how it moves and grows of value, by value of just being the, the kingdom of God, which is powerful and unstoppable. How we can choose to be a part of that kingdom or not. But now, now Jesus is going to challenge us. And we'll see that challenge uh, in another detail about this parable. Uh, when you bake a loaf of bread, it usually about, uses about two to three cups of flour. Uh, and you usually use a very, very small amount of yeast for one bread. Uh, maybe many of you may have probably worked with this amount before. Uh, and you saw, actually, Vera behind us giving us a master class on kneading dough and showing us how to do that with that amount of bread. But that's not, probably not the ratios that this woman in this parable is working with. Uh, a lot of experts say that based on the measurements of the day and some other context clues that we have in other scripture, uh, that this woman was probably making bread for about 150 people. 150. She wasn't making bread just for herself. She wasn't even making bread for her family. She was making bread for the community. And uh, just to give you a rough idea, uh, I did some calculations. Google did some calculations. So if you have, have issues with my numbers, maybe uh, talk to Google. <laughs> but I did some uh, calculations to figure out how much bread that might require. Uh, one loaf has about five servings. Uh, and to make enough servings to feed 150 people would take about 30 loaves of bread. And 30 loaves of bread takes about 25 pounds of flour. And we saw Vera over here working with uh, that amount in that bag, just two to three cups. But I also set out 25 pounds of flour. And we saw she was up here, uh, she was up here for five minutes kneading that dough. And, and she did some work at home before she got here. But can you imagine having her stay up here kneading dough until another 25 pounds of flour was kneaded into one loaf, uh, she probably wouldn't be up here for a couple minutes. Uh, she might be up here for a couple hours, maybe shorter. She is a pro at what she does, but she would have been up here a while. Through this parable, Jesus moves from saying that the kingdom grows itself to this lesson. Needing the kingdom is hard work. Jesus gives us this image of the growth of the kingdom being roll up your sleeves, break your back, sweat it out, hard labor. There's a lot of kingdom that needs to be needed so that it can rise. And that sounds exhausting. Um, to, to a lot of us who have not baked, that sounds incredibly exhausting. But I want you to take this a step farther. I want you to put, your shoes in, uh, put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish people who would have received this message, the people surrounding Jesus as he told this parable. And I need you to understand how devastating this message would have been to them. Uh, in the Old Testament, we have the narrative of uh, God's chosen people who became the Jewish people, who became Israel. And that we find that they have been gone from uh, being God's chosen people, led to a special land, and that eventually they had been taken out of that land and led to slavery in Egypt. And after many years, they were taken out of that slavery by Moses, but then they were led into the wilderness where they had to wander until a whole generation of their people had died off for their disobedience and the rebellion. Eventually they find their way home again, and they, they build a kingdom, a mighty, powerful kingdom. But eventually, even that kingdom is split in two and then eventually torn down until there is nothing left. And after their kingdom is destroyed, the Jewish people go from exile to exile to exile. 
And this same people, as Jesus is speaking to them, is not, they're now suffering under the brutal oppression of the Roman Empire. This is a tired people. These are people that are exhausted. These are people that are waiting for a, a Messiah King warrior to come in and throw off their chains and to finally relieve them of their suffering. And Jesus comes to this people and says, get to work. The, the kingdom requires kneading, and it's going to be hard labor. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine finally hearing the Messiah, the king, this person you've been waiting for, this, king, this person that you expect to come and rescue you and save you from your oppression, saying, get to work. There's more labor to be done. You're not done yet. That would be so exhausting. And we get tired, too, sometimes. Uh, we also fail fall into the trap of expecting the easy way out. Sometimes we get complacent. Sometimes we view participation in God's kingdom as just coming to church on a Sunday and checking off a box. But needing the kingdom looks like hard work. What, what does it look like? What does that look like lived out? Well, I'd say that needing the kingdom looks like sitting with a parent who just lost a child as they ask God why, not having answers for them other than to hold them and to comfort them and to weep with them. I would say that needing the kingdom looks like sitting with a kindergartner student trying to teach them about the importance of building a relationship with Jesus as they eat paper and throw cranes at the walls and do other kindergartner things. And I would also say that needing the kingdom looks like coming to church on a Sunday, exhausted and tired on an empty tank, and then missing two of the songs and half of the message because you were out in the lobby or in a room praying over someone and caring for their needs and their wants and their, their, their suffering. I would say that's what the kingdom looks like. Is anyone tired yet? Is anyone exhausted just at the thought of, of doing that kind of needing? Um, I, I don't blame you if you are. Needing the kingdom is hard work, and it's, it's going to cost us something. Don't have any illusions about that. But there's also hope in this parable. And here's why. Because needing the kingdom is family work. I don't want you to lose hope. Uh, the, the needing that is required is difficult, and it's going to cause us to sweat, but we do not do it alone. In the culture of Jesus' parable, uh, making this much bread would have been led by a woman, but it would not have been a solo job. Uh, making that much bread would have required uh, more hands, uh, maybe the hands of her, the rest of her family, maybe even the hands of a couple families in the community. But this would have been a task undertaken by the community. And you know what it might have looked like? It might have looked like a family table. A family sitting at a table, prepping a meal, and then eating it together. Uh, and uh, I have a, a picture that I, I brought up for us because I'm a visual learner, so for me it was helpful to visualize that. And uh, maybe some of you already noticed, uh, but Pastor Nathan and I, he helped me pick this picture. Uh, and if you notice the food on the table, my wife laughed at me when she saw it. I was working. She's like, so this is a fast food dinner? Um, and, and I got defensive, but I was like, listen, if, if, if this was a table and I was setting the meal for the family, I would want some of my favorite foods, which are pizza and burgers and fries. <laughs> but this is 
what it may have looked like, what it will look like. Um, think about it. Think about the time and the preparation that goes into getting a meal ready for the family. People running around the kitchen, uh, maybe music playing, uh, shouting, slinging of food and ingredients and flour and whatever else. A little bit of craziness, but it, it's a moment where we gather together to prepare a meal and then we put it on the table and we have that meal together. Doesn't the work feel different when we do it with our family? We, uh, or even our close friends, we all have these chores and these tasks that we have to do around the house that we dread. Uh, students, maybe some of you right now are thinking about a couple things you got to do when you get home and <laughs> dreading it a little bit. Uh, back when I was living uh, as a bachelor in an apartment, uh, my wife, who was dating at the time, would come over and always would roll my eyes because she'd walk, uh, roll her eyes. She'd walk in the door and she'd see my pile of dishes. I had like six of them and they'd all be <laughs> in the sink waiting to be washed. And I think that's something a lot of us uh, can relate to. Uh, students, you probably just really don't like cleaning up uh, gross food bits off of plates after the rest of your family. Um, adults, it, it can be exhausting to have to prep a meal, serve it, eat it, and then have to clean up your own mess after all that is done. Uh, and that was <laughs> Yeah, and that was often my motivation, especially when I lived alone, right? I would cook a meal, uh, mac and cheese, eggs, whatever, uh, easy stuff. I would cook a meal, I would sit down and eat, and they'd be like, oh, I have to go clean all this up. So I would wait until I had every dish in the house dirtied before I would finally get around to cleaning the dishes. But now, now I have a wife. Uh, I have a partner. I have someone who does the work with me. It feels different knowing that I have a partner who is willing to roll up their sleeves with me or even for me. Usually uh, one of us will cook or help cook, and then the other one will uh, clean up the dishes. And that's the difference between needing the kingdom alone and needing the kingdom with brothers and sisters in Christ. We share the load. We don't have to need it alone. And even better, when one of us gets tired, then we have a community of people who want to encourage us, to hear about how we're struggling, to, to pick us up, to be vulnerable, to encourage us, or even to do some of that work for us. So brothers and sisters, when you see someone struggling to do the work of needing the kingdom, let's support them. Let's give them a hand. I talk a lot about the family dinner table. I want to take a moment to acknowledge something important. I want to acknowledge that some of us don't have great memories of the family dinner table. Some of you might have really painful memories of what that looks like. Uh, because of that, maybe Thanksgiving was a tough time of the year for you uh, this year or, or in years past. So I want to ask you to do something. I want you to imagine what the table could look like. What it, would it look like if that picture of a family table could happen here in this community? What if you could be surrounded by people who see you, who love you, who value you, who, who wanted to invite you to participate at what is happening at that table? And as you imagine that, I want to read a letter to you. This is from someone in our community who has some of those painful memories. And as we were talking about uh, this subject, they, they wrote down some of their thoughts and, and sent them to me. And I, I want to read them to you. Uh, this, is, this is what she says. I want to tell you how I feel about Life Church Canton. I have always felt like an outcast, isolated and alone, invisible from my family and other people in my life. 
Much of this rejection came from lifelong abuse that took away my voice and my freedom. After accepting Christ, God quickly took me away from my husband. But after being divorced for two years, I felt isolated and afraid of people. Then I moved to Michigan. When I came to Life Church for the first time, I just moved here from California to attend seminary. I had never lived in a loving home, and I yearned for one, so in one word, I was very broken. I have attended Life Church Canton for four years now, and through serving in the church and getting to know my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, I have developed close relationships that only a few years ago would not have been possible. Most of my life, I have been invisible. But now I am being seen and accepted by the pastoral staff and new friends within the church. They continue to be instrumental in my growth and healing. Life journey and two internships have helped me see this church in a new light. God has guided me home to a church that I love so much and to a family of believers that accept me and truly see me. This is a safe place where I know I am protected by God and by my Christian family. This is what a biblical community of believers is supposed to look like. And I am so thankful to God for Life Church Canton. This is what a family table could look like a place where you belong, a place where there are things going on and work to do, and you're invited to be a part of it. This parable isn't just a challenge, it's also an invitation an invitation to be a part of needing God's kingdom into this community and those around us. So come to the table. Maybe you don't know your place, or you don't know how to participate in that needing yet, and that's okay too. We have an amazing tool called the Life Journey, which is all about finding your place at the table, discovering the ways that God has uniquely blessed and gifted you to do the work of needing the kingdom around us in your own unique way. So I would invite any of you, each of you, whether you have fond memories of the family table or not, to be a part of the table that God is setting right here at Life Church Canyon. And I want to keep using this, uh, this imagery of the family table to, to ask another question. What kind of table are we setting? Church, is the bread we are kneading into our community, uh, is it good? Or is it bitter and unpleasant? How do we look to our community? When they look to us, do they say love and peace and joy? Do they see a family sitting at a table who loves each other and is, is full of joy? Or do they see gossip and bitterness and anger and hate? If we're going to participate in the work of the kingdom, the needing of the kingdom, as Jesus calls us to, then we need to be very, very careful about what kind of bread we are making as we knead it into our community. Uh, let's not make bitter, tasteless bread. Let's make bread that is soft and fluffy and tastes good. And that's going to require some kneading to happen in our own hearts. This is going to require the kingdom being needed in us so that we can better need it into our community. Um, I, I want to come back to coal for a second. Because earlier I told you all about how coal affected uh, the children that he worked with. What I did not tell you about is how coal affected the adults that he worked with. 
Uh, Cole's defining trait and characteristic was the incredible amount of respect he showed to everyone he came in contact with. If a person didn't know who Cole was, uh, especially uh, adults, we would refer to him as that middle schooler from Florida who always says yes sir and yes ma'am. I would say that Cole was the perfect picture of, of gentleness and kindness. And if those sound familiar to some of you, they should, because those are fruit of the Spirit. Those are the things that we are called to knead into our community. That is the kneading of the kingdom. And Cole know how to do that kneading. I'd watch him cause the adults around him not just to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am more often, but to be more gentle and more kind and more patient in his presence, including me. That is what it looks like to knead good bread into the community and to bring good bread to the table. I think, and I would hope that you understand what this parable is about. You've heard all about how we are called to knead the kingdom in and might be wondering, what, what do I do this week? What are some steps I take? And I want to give you some action steps to, to help you start that kneading process in your life and in the community uh, during this week. Uh, first thing I want you to do, and I'm going to challenge you to do, is to get to work. Be on the lookout for the hard things, uh, the ways in which showing the love of God to those around us may cost some tears and some sweat, uh, some opportunities to expose others to the same love of God that you have received. Um, specifically, I want you to find one act that you can perform this week that will spread love into the community around Life Church. One that will cost you something and that will serve somebody else. Just start with one this week. Once you have you've started to need the kingdom into your community, once you've started that work, I want you to trust the process. One of the key factors of the bread-making process is waiting for it to rise and to prove so that you can bake it. And oftentimes, the the kneading of the kingdom takes time. Helping someone truly understand who Jesus is and how he loves them will take time. It will take multiple acts of care and love. So keep at it. And, and in the weeks ahead, I want you to do another act of love for those same people or that same group of people once a week for the next three weeks. One whole month of caring for one specific person or group of people, of needing the kingdom into where God has placed you. Keep building those relationships. Keep having those conversations. I can tell you as someone who works with students who are not only figuring out who God is, but also who they are, that it takes time for people to see God, to, to know him, and to understand what his kingdom looks like. So keep it up. And immediately at any point during this process i want you to come to the table if you try and do this kneading alone you will burn out vera might have made it look easy because she is a professional this is what she does for a living but we will burn out if we try to do this alone and we have so many ways for you to get connected to a community on the move for the kingdom you can join a life group. You can join a discipleship group. You can join the life journey. We have so many tools. But you can also come to the table today. In just a moment, like Pastor Jared said, we're going to have communion. And, and communion does so much. 
is a time of thanksgiving for a community of people who have been loved by God, are being loved by God, and will continue to be loved by God. It's also time to bring down some of our walls. Like I said, some of us have painful memories. When we talk about the family table, it's not always a good time. But this is a place where you're safe, where you are seen, where you are loved, where you are valued. And communion is a time to be vulnerable with God and to be vulnerable in this community. In just a moment, we're going to take an opportunity to come to the table right now. Lastly, I want you to ask yourselves a question this week as you go throughout doing the work of kneading the kingdom. I want you to ask yourselves this. Have you been leavened? Has your heart been kneaded? Not only does the kingdom of God work itself into our community, but it also kneads itself into our hearts. The process of kneading dough makes it more soft and more pliable. Just like the kingdom makes our hearts more soft and more pliable, more full of love and joy and peace, more receptive to God's voice. So this week, I want you to spend some time reflecting on whether or not your heart has been needed. Spend some time figuring out what kind of bread are you making in yourself and in the community around you. And some of you are, and I don't want to lose sight of that. Some of you are are understanding what the kingdom looks like. Some of you are uh, beginning to hear Jesus and the way of life he calls us to. You are out there needing the kingdom of God into the community, and that is amazing. You're, you're doing what Jesus calls you to do. So keep it up. Keep that work up. But some of you are hearing about the kingdom for the first time. Some of you have not allowed God to knead and soften your heart. And some of you didn't even know that was a thing you had to do. And that's okay, because today I want to invite you into the needing of the kingdom. I want to invite you to find your place at this table, to participate in not only what God is doing here in this room, but in this community and the community around us, and and also invite you into what God wants to do in you, with you, and for you. Whenever we talk about accepting an invitation from God, it's always best to go to him in direct conversation. So we're going to go to God in prayer, and we're going to ask him to point us to that table. So if you would bow your head with me and reflect and listen to what God may have to say right now. God, you've set a table before us. What a wonderful table it is full of blessing, joy, love, and peace. All the things that the Spirit brings to us when we join the table you have set. There are things that you have done and have planned for this community and for every person involved in it. God, there are those who are still on the outskirts who feel alone and afraid and isolated. And that's who I pray for right now, who I am praying with right now. Just ask that you would reach out to them, that you would wrap them up in your love through the people around them. Invite them in, pull them in to find their seat at the table. God, you are so good and so powerful and so wonderful. We cannot wait to be a part of and to see the ways in which you love the people here and the people that are part of this community. We await the day, be it today or tomorrow or weeks from now, 
when we're all joined together at the table working to knead the kingdom into our hearts and into those Thank you.